Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Scott Network YouTube channel blew up a few years ago because it turns out people like to hear all their favorite songs transformed into ska. And while Jeremy Hunter i.e. Scottoo Network, may create ska renditions of songs you'd expect, they oftentimes have some tricks up their sleeve. Today we talk about one of those surprises, an unexpected and unannounced release of a full-on all-ska cover of the entire Honeymoon album by Chicago indie pop group Beach Bunny. We bring on Jeremy and Beach Bunny's lead singer, Lily Trefilio. We dissect Trefilio's original work, gain an understanding of Jer's creative process to turn it into ska, and get Lily's reaction to her songs being covered by Jer. We look at this from all angles. Were you familiar with Beach Bunny before this? Uh, just a little bit. I like this kind of music. I like indie pop, um, rock, pop, I don't know. Just like hooky rock songs, basically. Yeah. I was completely unfamiliar with the group, so my first listen was actually listening to it and going back and forth between Jer's versions of the songs and the original versions. Mm. The thing I was mostly taken with in the originals were, were are Lily's voice and ability to write hooks and really memorable melodies. Yeah. Her voice is really good. And I, I really particularly like when she jumps up in the choruses, like the, mm-hmm. the range, like it's, it could, it creates a lot of dynamic for there being, like you said, not a ton of instrumentation and not a lot of changes in the instrumentation. And we get into it in the interview. Like the, the instrumentation is very much there to serve the song and, and, and to support the vocal, mm-hmm. which is, I think, something that's easily overlooked in a lot of punk and ska music. Yeah. So much emphasis gets put on 
the musicianship or just filling every moment with people playing. And I feel like a lot of bands would be well served to think about the space that they're making in a song and supporting the vocal. You know, I think that that could end up really cracking something open for a lot of uh, ska bands creatively. Yeah, and I think, you know, when, when we were younger in the 90s, uh, a lot of ska bands were so focused on putting on a good live show that a lot of times the recordings were afterthoughts. But I think, you know, with younger bands or bands that are active now, especially because there's been a pandemic as also, like they're approaching recording in a way that's so much better than I think a lot of the mindset we had in, in, in our era. Yeah. Time to invest in some good recordings, folks. <laughs> so Lily and Jer, before we kind of get into the this project, how do you two know each other? Um, internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we became mutuals on Instagram or something like that. I think it was Instagram. Um, at some point, I'm actually not even sure when it had happened, but we just started talking via Instagram and now we're friends. Yeah, I feel like we both knew about each other's existence for, for a while before like initiating any conversation. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. How long back do you think that goes? For me, I've known about Beach Bunny since like I want to say 2018 or so. Um, I'm hoping that they were a band in 2018 and I'm not just like <laughs> making something up. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure like it was like 2018 because I have a lot of friends in like the Chicago area. And so like, I was like very connected with like, a like, or just at least in the know of a lot of like the smaller bands that were coming up from there. And so I've like known of Beach Bunny. And then when they like went viral on TikTok, I was like, oh snap, that's like a band I know that's actually like doing that. Hell yeah. What about you, Lily? When when do you recall um, Scott Who Network coming on your radar? I mean, it was probably either that year or the next. Um, I remember I was aware of the YouTube channel before you posted any like, Beach Bunny related covers or content. But um, then you had made a Beach Bunny cover and I was like, no way. Really? Like... <laughs> And then I was like, oh, maybe this song is popping off of Scott Toon's, like, covering. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about, so, Jer, when you did uh, Prom Queen, I think that was, tw I don't remember when you did that, 2020, maybe? It was, yeah, this is like my first cover of 2020. Okay, so you you two hadn't become friends yet. You were just like, this is a cool song, I'm going to do this song. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and was that one that you chose or was that was that one of the requests through your uh patreon it was actually patreon requested it's interesting so the the prom queen that thing that song blew up on tiktok and um it's one it was one of those things where like people were posting the song right and and they would they would sort of latch on to like a couple of verses of the lyrics and sort of make their own videos it was one of those right mm-hmm mm -hmm. It's an interesting trend. I'm I'm not yet on TikTok, but I've been hearing about that where it's like uh, Mountain Goats had one, uh, AJJ had one. Really? Wow. Yeah. The you know that song, um, the the body terror song. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry you have a body. Yeah, that's one. There's a bunch of videos of people singing <laughs> that song wow. on TikTok. And the Mountain Goats one, it's the one called No Children, where it's just about um a couple that hates each other's guts. 
So, <laughs> so, so good. So people are like mouthing the lyrics to these, like this be like this <laughs> hatred that you have in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? So your song was um, because there was like a lines about, um, you know, not caring about or kind of pushing back against like, you know, body image. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's that song and, and specifically the lyrics that kind of got it blowing up on TikTok. Yeah, uh, it was interesting, though, because I mean, probably similar to those other songs you listed, like some people just throw that audio on anything. You could have just a nice puppy running around and it's talking about how many calories you should eat in the background. So, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting how TikTok does that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like it's like a like a positive feedback loop where if enough people start singing along to a song for like you know because it like relates to them or whatever, then the song starts trending, and then other people who want to get their videos trending will then like use the audio on their videos, even though it has nothing to do with it. So it just sort of creates this like loop of like, oh, well, more people are using the audio, so it trends better. So let me use this audio too. So like once you start trending with an audio, it's like you kind of don't have to do the work anymore. It'll just kind of always be there. I had read that Lily that you um were not like super like or into or aware of TikTok too much before this happened and then you were became aware of it happening. Is that is that true? Yeah, I had I had no idea. And at the time, uh I guess in like the social world, uh TikTok was considered like kind of cringe. Where now I think it's pretty popular, but I was sort of uh angry that it was getting popular on there because I thought that people would uh, stop taking my music seriously, to be honest. I see, yeah. Did it have that effect? Nah, it was fine. And then, honestly, these days it seems like there's a lot of current music, like stuff you listed, getting popular on there. And uh, it's getting popular on great playlists and stuff that are expanding way like more than TikTok. So uh, I think I was just nervous maybe because yeah. I had never been on the app and I didn't really it was happening so fast that I couldn't even catch up to what was going on yeah same, same. I can understand because like TikTok sort of had this like um a couple of years ago this like oh this that's a thing that kids do but now it's like mm-hmm. totally become very much more mainstream and then like yeah you're hearing about bands that you know you wouldn't expect to blow up on like a platform like that are so yeah I think it's I don't know what the perception necessarily was then, but it's definitely not. I don't think it's a bad thing at all now if you're trending on TikTok. So then, okay, so 2022, you um, released this album, Honeymoon. It's your first actual uh, full length, right? Mm-hmm. Before we get into um, Jer's cover of this record and their um, how they decided to transpose it to ska, tell us a little bit about the record, the kind of inspiration behind the record and, and the creation of the record? So the record was written over 2018 and 2019 following a breakup. Uh, so it's definitely has a lot of heartbreak anthems on it. Um, and then we had gotten signed August of 2019. So there was sort of a delay with the album release, just figuring out stuff with the label took a bit um so by the time it actually came out it was like right before the pandemic wow. uh, valentine's day of that year um so it's been a really interesting journey with that record um being the breakup record having like a pan- pre-pandemic release and then not really being able to promote it at all as soon as it came out 
Um, and it's really crazy and cool seeing Jared doing something like this and seeing the songs do well online without that in-person show support. Uh, it's so it's yeah, it was a really crazy first album experience for sure. Yeah, I know that it's done well, but uh, did did Cloud Nine also trend on TikTok or just just like a just that it did well on streaming? No, it almost had the exact same trend uh, that Prom Queen did. Wow. Where, which was the, I guess the case with that was it was released a year prior and then out of nowhere, just people started using that soundbite. And that was very similar with Cloud9, where nothing really prompted the popularity of the song, but I guess some bigger creators uh, found it a year after it had been released and it just started skyrocketing. What was the the clip, the, the lyric clip that that, for the TikTok for that song that um, took off? Uh, it was pretty much just the choruses, which are just romantically centered. It's about talking about how you feel like floating um, when you're with someone. And yeah, it was just kind of sweet lyrics and people applied them to their relationships. And then people started making videos with like family members kind of using the lyrics in a different way. Um, and then it then it just the world's limit and it, I don't know people were probably putting it over like them cooking asparagus or <laughs> taking out the trash you know <laughs> you feel like you're floating when you're taking out the trash yeah I know <laughs> <laughs> there was like some religious centered ones too which I I like would not expect by angle I was like is this secretly a Christian a Christian anthem <laughs> <laughs> oh wow you didn't even realize that you wrote some christian anthem yeah like there, there, i remember there was this one uh this one person who posted a video of them with just like pictures of jesus in the back <laughs> and they're like uh, when i'm floating like i finally feel free and stuff like that and i was just like oh man this totally works why does this work <laughs> that's that's interesting because a lot of the i mean the smoking popes um a lot of their relationship songs, mm-hmm. um, it came out years later that those were about the singer's relationship with Jesus. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> he came out to the rest of the band and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a devout Christian and all these songs are about my relationship with Jesus. And so, yeah, I could definitely see people wow. taking, putting that slant on your songs. <laughs> so that's funny and cool. How would you feel if you were a... Um, diehard atheist and uh, you were in smoking popes and then 20 years 20 years into it you find out that you've been part of delivering the message of god to the masses <laughs> you're a pretty big shock yeah they gotcha i feel like that's, you, got, you just have a gotcha moment there <laughs> okay so jer um what about this record and how how did you get into this record and and obviously you like this record a lot because you spent time turning the entire thing into a ska record yeah tell us a little bit about what about this record you connected to yeah um it was definitely like one of my i, I don't really do album of the year lists but it probably would have been my album of the year for 2020 if not definitely top five um and it was also like a big inspiration for like a lot of like my original music and stuff as well and for a while i wanted to do another beach bunny cover uh prom queen did a lot better than I thought because I, I do a lot of like niche covers which especially like at the time I did prom queen like Beach Bunny didn't like it necessarily it wasn't as big as they are now 
So I, I had no idea how it was going to do. And I think it's like, it, it, the numbers are high. It has a very high click-through rate still, which is wild. Um, and people kept requiring, like people requested Cuffing Season, uh, Miss California, Cloud9, and Dream Boy were all, uh, and Colorblind. Colorblind was actually the first one uh, requested out of all of uh, all, off that record. So like they come through my requests and for a while I was like trying to figure out like which one do I want to do? And I was like back and forth about it. I was already planning on doing another one and I had chosen Cloud9. Um, and then I, I went to Riot Fest and uh, Lily and I hung out and then I saw their set and then I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm just gonna do the whole record. This whole record slaps. Like, <laughs> 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 I was like standing with Reed and Ray and every song I was like, oh man, this would sound so good if this was like two-tone. And like the next song I'm like, oh, this would sound so good if it was like Scott Cohen. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna do the whole record. And I've always wanted to do a full cover record of like a band. People always say like, oh, when are you gonna cut, do a cover record? But I like don't want to dedicate because I mean I started that right like literally I got home from Riot Fest and started that project and I finished it late November um and I don't want to like and like that's only nine songs some people make records that are like 15 songs or whatever like most bands are feel like are sitting between 11 like 10 or 11 songs like 15 and a cover record's a big commitment and like a huge time consumption thing and if I was going to do a cover record I wanted it to be like a record that I loved so that was like the first one where because there's like a few other options have come up to me of like oh maybe I can do this whole record but like they just never stuck or I just never like found the time but this was one where I was definitely like no I can make this happen um and I would enjoy every second of it and like there wasn't really a moment where I got like bored or like burnt out or like oh I wish I wish I didn't start this commitment like there's definitely been moments where I'm like start a commitment and I'm like oh I wish I didn't do this now I have to finish it um but that wasn't the that wasn't the case with this record at all like I got to the end and I was like, oh shit, that's it. I did all nine songs. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, which one's next? And then I looked and I was like, oh no, that's it. It's done. So Lily, um, just to take a step back, um, Beach Bunny started just as like a solo project, right? Like back in like 2015 or something? Yeah. When did Beach Bunny become like a band? Was that leading into this record or was it before this record it was slightly before this record i think it was 2017 okay yeah um yeah so we had got together and and done some songs for an ep and then this was the first i don't know i guess this this probably felt like the the first like real thing we were doing together um just because we had never made an album and it was like learning how to collectively work together um and figure out these songs so um obviously you played riot fest um ha have you been able to do many shows you know in the now that honeymoon's released you know world uh yeah kind of uh there was a lot of one-offs during the pandemic during periods of time that felt safer to travel yeah and then we were able to do a tour pretty recently in november and december but it was like we probably missed that Omicron news by a couple days. I think if that had come out and cases had been skyrocketing the last week of tour, we probably probably would have canceled. Um, yeah. And we were supposed to go to Europe in February and canceled that too. So we'll see <laughs> how things go. So now, Jerry, you you started this project without telling Lily, right? Oh yes, I I the way I told Lily is I sent mm -hmm. I sent the final uh, all the demos that were done. <laughs> originally I was gonna tell Lily with like 
the full art and everything, but then you pitched the idea of this, and I was like, well, I guess like I definitely sent it early. Uh, but but yeah, it was definitely <laughs> like I I just sent a SoundCloud link to like the final demos. <laughs> when I tell you, my jaw dropped. <laughs> did you say what did you say? Did you say listen to this, or do you say hey I did a thing, or what, what, how did you present it? It was literally like, hey, you want to hear a thing I did? And then I said, like, the eyes, the eyes emoji, which always, like, means that, like, you know, something's up. And then I just sent the link to a SoundCloud link that was titled Honey Rude. Yeah, what did you think? And then you didn't just do the eyes. You said, I have a surprise for you. So I was like, what could this possibly be? Like, Oh, yeah, I did say a surprise for you. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought I was like, Oh, am I getting so? Am I gonna get a little a little ska T-shirt? Like I was like, oh, that could be cool, <laughs> or I didn't know. Uh, and then, yeah, I clicked the link and my jaw was on the floor. I I was genuinely speechless. Um, and I was over at my at my boyfriend's place and I was just like staring at my phone. And they were like, "What? What's up? Are you good?" And I just held the phone up. I was like no way is this real and then I had to like listen to every song and and then go back and listen to them again so I was just on my phone for the whole hour being like is this real (laughs) I mean that must have really blown your mind hearing all of your songs transformed into like not only even just you know ska songs but very varied ska songs like there's a breadth of variety in in Jared's versions of these songs Absolutely. Um, and it was also just like wild to hear covers, um, you know, studio version covers. That's not yeah. a thing you typically hear. Maybe it's some like person with the ukulele on YouTube, but this was like a full production of the songs. Um, and and made, you know, with the lyrics and stuff too, brought them to life in a new way that I never would have expected. And it was also amazing that you know, Jerry and I are friends and this wasn't just um, some some person that I was only mutuals with, but someone that I talked to regularly. Um, and it just felt really, really sweet that someone would take the time to do that. <laughs> so when when was this sent? So Jerry, when did you send this? Um, I don't remember the exact day. I honestly might be able to just look it up on iMessage right now um <laughs> january 6th okay so january 6th <laughs> <laughs> and uh when did you when did you uh you started making this in november oh no i started making it in september um september. and i think the cloud nine cover was before i decided to like i think i'd already started like prepping that one to record if not um it was already mm-hmm. at least like half record because i uploaded that in november so there's no way i started it any earlier than like the beginning of september um but yeah, I definitely like that cloud, the covering cloud now was already on my mind or like set as like a cover I was going to do in the future. But, uh, but yeah, so like September, so like, yeah, about three months. So how hard was it to keep, um, to not say anything? Oh, was, I'm so bad at keeping secrets. I'm like <laughs> terrible at it. And so like my workaround was just like, I started showing Lily's boyfriend the cover. And I was like, don't tell Lily, but look at this. <laughs> <laughs> you're like this will give me just enough like satisfaction of telling someone. yeah <laughs> okay so lily when you um when your jaw was dropped and you showed your boyfriend did he go oh yeah yeah i know about that 
<laughs> no, literally, that's very accurate. And then I, my jaw dropped again. I was like, what? <laughs> because they're not good at keeping secrets either. So yeah, I'm, I'm impressed like, they were able to keep wow. that secret. That's, that's wild. <laughs> uh, they were actually telling me the other day. Um, I guess he forgot that he told me. Um, so his roommate was just being like, yeah, you already spilled the news on this. And they were just like, no, I, I never said anything. And uh, the roommate was just like, no, you totally told her. You spoiled the secret. <laughs> and I guess I'd forgotten this whole interaction. I was like, how did you forget that? Like, I was like on the floor, like, just with my gasping mouth. <laughs> but I guess I guess for a couple of days, they were distraught because they thought they'd spilled the secret. And I was like, nah. Let me re-explain this whole situation that we're down. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So, Jared, um, your connection to this record, um, was it specifically like you really liked the uh, the songwriting, the, the musicality, or was it like the lyrics or the emotions of it. I'm, I'm curious just to get a little deeper into like why this became a record that you were so into, you know, in from the 2020 catalog. Um, I think it's a mix of all of the above. Uh, and like, this is like a realization I've had for a while, um, especially during 2020 and like 2019 of like why I love Scott in the first place. Um, in simplest terms, it's ass shaking music. Um, and honeymoon is ass shaking music. It's just music that makes you want to <laughs> dance and like, you know, whether like the, and this is something I appreciate about this record and ska, which is why I think it works so well as a ska record is, you know, you could be going through like a breakup, your world could be falling apart, but like musically, you know, the music is just like, let me like focus on having a good time, even though my life's falling apart. That's kind of like the vibe of the, and like not every song on the record is about like, you know things being terrible which is also like something I liked about it you know like I feel like a lot of bands um especially like in the alternative world if they make a like a breakup record it's a it's it's exclusively a breakup record and there's no like there's no other emotion in there and sometimes that could be like overwhelming but this record kind of takes you through like a lot of different emotions and like how you know the feelings of like that can affect other feelings about like yourself and stuff like that and so like I always appreciated like like that perspective of the record um, and its ability. And also like every song is like one of the catchiest hooks I've ever heard. And I'm very much a hook person. Like that's like, whenever I'm writing a song, it's hook first, think about the hook. And then everything else is like centered around, is, like, centered around that. And so 
especially arranging these mm-hmm. covers i was like every every like new appreciation for this entire record on an even higher level after breaking every single song down and rearranging them i'm like wow actually this record so well every time i texted reed every time i was working on this i'm like why is lily such a good songwriter i was like what the fuck every <laughs> single uh, every single song <laughs> lily do you relate to what jer is saying about um you know it's kind of this sad subject but it's like kind of has this feel good element to it musically i'm curious from from your point of view as the person who wrote it you know kind of how it felt to write it no totally i think we definitely share that interest because i seek out music to listen to that's in that realm as well of just yeah the con- i really like the contrast of and that can be reversed too like the contrast where it's like it could be happy lyrics with like some melancholy piano sounds that's cool too i just uh yeah, I love that dynamic. And Scott's genre conquers that so well in all ways. Um, and yeah, it was just really exciting to hear the songs in a new way that made them even more danceable. <laughs> well, tell me, why did you call the record Honeymoon, if I may ask? Oh, um, it was kind of, well, this was my idea was the songs, uh, or okay, how should I phrase it? Okay, I guess the breakup that I wrote about for Honeymoon um, was when the honeymoon period of the relationship started to wear off and like you could see people's true colors. So I don't know. I guess it was an allude to that. (laughs) I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen the cover, Jer's cover yet? Yes, of course. Adam, I showed you that, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) 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 who who put that together so that was actually uh anna scamilla um who has done work for i actually realized this after the fact i was like wait i think i think anna has done art for beach bunny um which is really which is even extra layer of of funny uh (laughs) only to me i don't think that'll be funny to anybody else but but yeah, I just like sent I sent them the I told them about it and I was like, hey, because uh, we've talked about Beach Money before too. I was like, hey, do you want to re- remake this but make it look like uh, the the Sky Guy? And then I sent just like, a picture of like the Sky Guy and then um, Walt Josco. And then <laughs> and then afterwards, I was like, you know, it's, it'd be really funny if instead of holding a bunny, he was holding a trumpet. And <laughs> and then she like. Uh, she sent me like a draft and then afterwards I was like, okay, wait a minute. What if we just made it like a specials rip all together and added like the track listing and like everything. And then sh- sure enough, uh, and killed it. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. It's, I noticed that too, when you're talking about your art, um, just texting me about it, I was like, wow, we are just living in the same little universe here. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I like the, the, specials rip especially since in the songs you peppered in some um ska reggae easter eggs um, oh yeah yeah there's there's a there's a few of them uh there's a monkey man reference there's a um, tears of a clown uh the uh, not english beat uh wait no yeah the english beat um reference and uh there's a bob there's also a bob marley uh straight up i mean that one i think the, any person will catch that one it's pretty yeah. obvious and that's a three <laughs> little birds i think right mm-hmm. i didn't catch the um the the monkey man which song has that 
So that one's actually at the end of Miss California. If you listen to the saxophone, it's it's playing the la 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 la. Okay. I just like I was recording, and I think I like messed up the sax part I was going to play, and I just started playing that, and then I was like, "Hey, wait a minute." I mean, I feel like all of those little details are what really makes the so interesting. I mean, especially just taking these songs and transposing parts that were originally, you know, background vocal parts into full full blown horn sections. Right. Yeah. Lily, how was that hearing these smaller details in the song like magnified by the parts that Jared put in? Oh, it was amazing. It's also really, it, I don't know, it's interesting and very cool to listen to, uh, to, to listen to the record, you know, since I know the songs very well, um, like inherently I'm going to just expect something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every time I was surprised, it was just like, no way. <laughs> uh, so I think it really added to my whole first listening experience of already being really shocked. Um, yeah, and it, it, I don't know, it was, uh, it was cool because I haven't listened to that record in general um, in many, many months. I don't really go back and listen to my songs often. Uh, so it was also just refreshing, like hearing the whole album flow together and stuff. And it was this mix of nostalgia, but also just being like completely wild. Um, and I can't say I experienced that emotion hardly ever. <laughs> So I think it'd be fun to break apart a few songs. Um, I think because, you know, mm-hmm. like people maybe don't have any clue like what goes into what you do, Jer. And then I also mm-hmm. think people also probably don't have any idea what the uh, person that you're covering, you know, their 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 reaction and, and what they think of your specific choices. So I think it would be an interesting conversation to have. I have some thoughts about songs, but is there any like, is there any song that you feel like you really just tore apart and rebuilt in a in a really creative interesting way oh colorblind that was that was the one that had four different versions before i settled with that one walk us through colorblind how how you started you know the different things that you tried and how you landed on what you did that one was like just for whatever everything i tried i feel like took away from what makes the song like work um ironically is the danceability but it kind of has like this almost like disco vibe to it in a way um but I didn't like when I I at first I tried just giving it like straight up like that kind of like you know um take on me by Rubik Fish like that that drum pattern that opens it but like at that slower tempo but like it just wasn't sticking for me um and so I tried many different things I tried giving it like a db like super fast but that wasn't sticking either um and I was just like man oh no, this one, this one got me stumped. And then ironically, what worked is just ripping like three different We Are The Union songs uh, stylistically for that one. Like the beginning, the beginning of that song, I just like, I think I was like messing around. I think we were, I was practicing the the New Year's set before the show had gotten canceled. And then uh, I was practicing Short Circuit and was listening to that and then in my brain I started singing colorblind I was like wait a minute uh and then I have a lot of wait a minute moments when I'm recording or practicing and so I picked up a guitar and just started playing kind of like not like the same rhythm because it's not the same but like kind of similar rhythm like matching that style into that and then when the drums come in 
originally, I was actually trying to make it sound like an MXPX song. That was the original idea. And then <laughs> I realized that I'm just not good at writing 90s sounding punk anymore. Like every time I try, it just warps into like not that at all. Um, so I was really trying to go for like a very like just like Allister MXPX uh, like um, like gold like early gold feeling like that sound, but it just didn't stick that way. But it ended up sounding I was like listening back and I was like, this sounds kind of like Pasadena too. And I was like, dang it, where are the unions ruined me? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was like the vibe of that. And then that guitar part, that was another part too. And that was the thing that was getting me, like whenever I did come up with the cool idea, when I, the guitar part that plays uh, in between like the chorus and verse, it just wasn't translating to horns in any of the styles I was doing. It's, it felt really forced uh, versus everything else. So that's when I was like, damn it what the fuck and so the idea I came across of was just I was like man fuck it and then I kind of did I recorded like way more horns than I normally ever do on a cover because like I just traded the melody back and forth because it's like two guitars kind of playing it anyway and so I was like you know if it's two guitars playing it why not just make it like one uh section of the horns like the trumpet and sax and then another sax and tr trombone like call, call and response in each uh each other and that ended up sticking mm -hmm. uh very well um, and I think that song is like, I always like try to think of records as a cohesive unit and like what song kind of makes the listening experience. I think that's like the song on the record that kind of like gives it that listening experience, like that elevates it to the next level as a full uh, listen down. I want to break it down just a little further, especially for like, you know, musicians listening, like you put on, you put on color, but what's the very first step? in terms of like, you know, you don't necessarily even have an idea yet. You're just trying to get the raw materials ready so you can start experimenting with. So what, what is the first step for you? For me, it's finding what makes the song work in the first place and what makes it like a really good song. Um, and like kind of comparing that to like, well, this band kind of sounds similar, but why doesn't this stick as much to me? And so I'll often like listen back and forth between like, the song I'm covering and other similar songs that don't stick as hard and finding what works. Like for me, uh, personally, what I think makes Colorblind work, oh, really this whole record is that it seems like everything supports the vocals and there's nothing is ever really getting in the way of the vocals. Um, and like when you listen to like the guitars and drums and everything, it's always like working as a unit in support of those vocals. So I was like, well, whatever I do with this cover, I can't land. This is like a very easy thing for ska bands to do is like, whatever I do, the instrumentation cannot get in the way of what the vocals are portraying. Cause that's what this is all about. And so like ska bands typically do this thing where like they'll have horns playing at every second, the horns can detract from the vocals. So like, that was like a big, a big thing for me was like, if there are horns, they need to be like, they can't be playing like a million notes in like a small phrase. Wow. There's also, well, that's way too much like happening at once. So that was my first thing was to think about how everything's going to fit in the arrangement. And then for me personally, especially with Scott's Network, my goal more is to like, I want every song to kind of be like a blatant reference to like another like uh, band stylistically. Like I said, that was supposed to, or supposed to be a very like blatant, like MXPX style, like punk song. And then it ended up becoming its own thing, which is also fine for it to become its own thing because, you know, the, the end goal is to obviously not make everything sound exactly like another band. But I think, you know, you, you're not ever going to like, like that lightning's not going to strike twice. So even if you are trying to emulate like something with your own influence and personal experience and how you play like guitar or sing or instruments or whatever, it's always going to end up being its own product. So 
Um, they say this thing in music school that good composers find inspiration, great composers steal, because it's kind of true. You just like, you know, like th there's no sense of like trying to work super, super hard to be super original because like, you know, first off, especially in pop oriented music with like ska and like, you know, this indie stuff all counts as pop oriented as far as like verse, chorus, verse. Um, everyone's done everything like that, like there is to do that's basic. The, the, the key of making songs that pop that are interesting and feel fresh is uh, when you add your own character and own perspective to these already established fundamental ideas that work. So, so yeah, taking what works in the song and then adding my own like flair uh, to it or what I think will work and support the song, but never losing sight on what's important in the song, which to me is the vocals always and like the, what the melody is portraying. So you're saying like uh, first step for you is just like a lot of listening and, and thinking really? Yes, yes. Um, normally with covers, um, I'm listening, especially when it's songs I'm not as familiar with um, or songs that I'm stumped on how to like, convert. like some songs I hear and I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a two to like Miss California. I think I heard that song when I was first thinking about doing this. I was like, yep, that's going to be a two tone one. Um, <laughs> there's going to be no distorted guitars for, for sure. Lots of organ. Um, I was even debating doing no horns, but I ended up just only doing sax, which is a thing a lot of like make madness um or yeah did like a lot of like only sax so so that's why i like chose that one was super easy i want i think i did in like four hours uh it was one of the fastest ones and um but yeah it's a lot of listening and comparing like um not only like ska songs but like non-ska songs i think it's very important to have an understanding of like why music in general works well rather than just like hyper focusing on only like why does ska work super well you know is there a whole process of you like taking notes and um you know, taking the chords and doing things with that and analyzing the chords, or is it a little bit not not so much? Um, normally, I just go and I Google song name followed by chords and hope that someone had already done that work for me. And <laughs> ninety percent of the time, there's something to work off of. A lot of the times, chords and I've also learned lyrics are wrong on the internet. Yeah. Um, like there was a, there's a line on on one of the covers, and um, it's uh, it's on racetrack. Uh, even the moon can't maintain the same bit. Actually, Lily, is it face or phase? Like face, like on your face. Okay, cool. I always thought it was phase. And then I was like looking it up in a few, uh, like maybe one or two lyric websites said phase. But um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, some, some astrology stuff. Yeah, the moon is always in different phases. That is true. Um, so, and, but... <laughs> But most websites were saying face. So I said face, but honestly, I was like listening back and I couldn't even, it sounded like I was also saying phase. So I was like, maybe it's just one of those things that like, it sounds like kind of the same word when you're singing it in that context or whatever. I didn't think too hard about it, but but yeah, I do a lot of research to make sure that the, the lyrics and chords are correct. Um, and then I, recently I started charting things out on my iPad um, because I mm. recently got an iPad for my teaching job. Um, and so that has helped a lot. It helps me get through covers quicker. It helps me not make mistakes. Sometimes I record covers and I'm tracking vocals and then I get to the third verse and realize I never recorded the instrumental for the third verse. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to go back and do hope Most of the time copying and pasting works because like chords repeat and stuff. But the, but and the few times that I've messed up and I couldn't do that, I just have to like kind of go back and re-record everything. And that's always annoying and breaks the flow. So uh, yeah, yeah. Charting definitely helps out a lot. Are there any covers that you've recorded where you realized later that you made a 
mistake in there and it was in the published version uh yeah green day um <laughs> welcome <laughs> to paradise uh because the third verse is different and like i, I double checked two lyric websites that have the same like they, they just copied the first verse as the third verse and so i was like okay cool i wasn't like super familiar with the lyrics like like that out of the choruses so i didn't really double check or think and then I got like a million comments like, oh, you know, you messed up this blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, all right, thanks. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, so now I like, now I definitely, especially for like things where like the more annoying I feel like their fans will be about it, the more I will make sure. So if I'm ever covering like any punk music that like anyone over the age of 40 is going to listen to, I have to like triple check <laughs> uh, to make sure I'm not messing anything up because they won't shut up about it ever. <laughs> when when you When you've performed that song live, do you, keep it the way it is on the way you recorded it or do you change it we've actually never performed that song live and it's because i, I did this really intricate like like syncopated like like rhythm thing in the horns because like there's like that bass line and then i just like made it into like a horn thing and i'm like this will never be played live there's certain covers <laughs> i do and i'm like we're never gonna get this live um and there's no there's, we're not gonna try <laughs> that's yeah. okay i have 300 covers to choose from so Lily, does that surprise you to hear the the process that Jer went through to create uh, Colorblind, the version that they created? It's really cool to hear. <laughs> um, but yeah, that seems like I can relate to that just in songwriting in general, for sure. Uh, just doing some pre-planning and trying a lot of different things is very typical of my process too. But it is interesting to hear the details on it and and which songs were challenging and which songs came more easily because I mean that's a lot of transposing to whole different instruments that I have no idea how to play so um yeah it's cool to hear so for you do you write the songs like just on your guitar and then kind of work them out arrangement wise with the band or how, do, how does your process yeah but it's pretty typical like that it'll either be writing it on guitar or keyboard um and then I usually just have notes in mind uh of i don't know if there's any things in the studio that i'm feeling production wise or sometimes if like there's a riff or something like that i'll just i'll do like a voice memo of me just humming it or making some weird sounds to it and sometimes that can translate later when we have practice and are trying to put it together yeah there's like um i think you know, Jer was talking about the uh, vocal, the way the vocals are centered, which I agree with. But also, I think like there's a lot of dynamics, and and you're able to, especially like I feel like there's a lot of courses where you really, you really up the dynamics and stuff. Like um, like promises is a good example. The opening track, the way the way that that chorus jumps out at you. Um, I'm not sure how much of it. I mean, definitely a lot of it's the vocals, but I'm not sure how you how much discussion went into accenting that in terms of the instrumentation to highlight that? Yeah. I mean, I think for the most part, uh, I try to follow a pop style formula, even though what we're writing is more rock, but uh, definitely sticking with like a very classic, like chill on the verse, make the choruses big, do something a little new in the bridge and then bring a chorus back. And, and the formula is pretty consistent, I think, throughout the album and the discography in general. Um, 
so it's interesting for the songs that don't follow that formula too to see how Joe worked that. Uh, like there's this one keyboard song called Racetrack that's very melancholy and stuff. And when I got to it in the album, I wasn't sure how Jerry's version was going to sound. And I was like, oh yeah, this makes total sense. This works perfectly. Yeah, that's that was one I um, I was curious about. Because yeah, it's a, it's a piano ballad, but you kind of take this approach of making it kind of a bouncy, upbeat reggae song. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, what was your process on that one? Did, was that a difficult one or was that an immediate, you, you knew exactly what to do? That one wasn't difficult. The original idea had I had was actually going to be only horns and vocals. There was going to be no like guitar, bass or drums at all. And I was like messing around with that. But while messing around, around with that, I was, I was, uh, I had left to go play the Jeff Rosenstock Scott Dream shows. And then when we were practicing Monday at Back to the Beach, I was like, no, Rest Track would work perfectly in this style. Um, so it's very much like a blatant rip of that, which I'm sure Jeff blatantly ripped something else to like as a homage um, <laughs> for that, which is like really funny. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, listen, I was like, yeah, that like kind of very, it's like very swung, um, uh, very like, like you said, like bouncy, like reggae track and like it kind of fits to having that like more reggae style for like that song is like you know like the chillest song on that record so um I felt that it just like it just kind of worked perfect and as, as I started playing it in that style I was like it, it just felt right and that's like a thing too whenever I'm like messing around on how to take a cover I like play it a few ways and like whatever just like feels there's like a moment where I'm just like yeah this just feels right in this style and then I just roll with it there's definitely some songs that like struck me. We talked about this a little bit uh, already, but like the presence of horns and how you utilize horns without overbearing the vocals. Uh, I think cuffing season was one where I was listening. I was going like, God, there's so many, there's so much horns on this yet. Like, yeah, it is kind of like background, you know, Mm -hmm. talk about that one a little bit cuffing season and uh, in specifically in how you kind of were working through the horn parts. Yeah, so, like, it's kind of a mix of, like, working a lot and producing with We're the Union, and as well as just things I've learned on my own. Most notably, I forgot who told me this, but someone was telling me how, um, like, why Michael Jackson's music popped off as hard as it did, and, like, yeah, Michael Jackson was, like, a talented singer, dancer, performer, Um, but, like, there was a lot of people like that, so, like, what was the difference from, like, Michael Jackson and other people and someone told me that when you listen to like Billie Jean, for example, I think that song has less than 16 tracks on it. And when you start to like listen to like, especially like those true like era defining pop songs, specifically from the 80s is like what I noticed too, um, less is more. And so when you have like, you know, like Billie Jean going back to that, you have the bass line, drums, there's like a shaker uh there's like a little lead playing the bum 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 and there's like another lead in the in the choruses but other than that there's not much else going on that so there's like some strings that come in just to make like the choruses uh a little like bigger but everything is intentional is kind of the point there's like a very much intent so it's like you know like are are there cool horn ideas i had sure but was it supporting the song or was it just a cool horn idea like is the listener going to be like listening to the, the lyrics and then suddenly like they get distracted from that to listen to this like 
intricate horn part like that that's the question I ask and if the answer is yes take the horn part out like you know like mm-hmm. if it ever is at one point gonna jarringly t- change the focus and like for some like for progressive rock that might work you know for prog rock that might be what you want to do but in an instance for what I'm trying to do with music that's not what I want to do um so that that's kind of like the approach and that's same thing with we are the union like the way I like I don't do it as much anymore because like now I know how we are the union writes but I when we wrote self-care I would just record myself like 10 times playing each song on trombone and each time I would kind of solidify certain ideas and then other ideas would kind of be floaty and I would say 90% of those ideas I solidified we kept and then 90% of the floaty ideas we scrapped and like I didn't expect Mm -hmm. me playing from uh, the beginning of the end of the song to make it into the final cut but I would just give Reed like here's all the horn ideas I came up with as I was playing along to it and then that they were able to cut most of it and then kind of work what was there that actually worked and you know going into ordinary life I kind of learned a little bit more about like okay like I actually know how to song right now versus just write a bunch of horns over stuff and see what they want to do with it now I actually understand what like supports so um John wrote most of like also like there's also a lot of nods to morbid obsessions on that song too um like a lot oh yeah (laughs) and I'm yeah there's so like the, the the intro is the exact same fill I actually like just went and like programmed the fill that Brent plays at the beginning of Morbid <laughs> Obsessions for the beginning of Cuffing Season um and then like the trombone solo part the like I kind of changed that into the same style as the trombone solo on uh, Morbid Obsessions like that whole song is just like I honestly like I want my goal was to have Reed mix it and just go god damn it and like and see if she can like <laughs> notice like the the entire like first verse is the same drum uh, beat as the first verse in Morbid Obsession so like it's just a lot of like kind of me like making nods like a joke that only I find funny and no one else probably even get um <laughs> type thing but but yeah that's kind of the vibe is just like approaching it in that way um also like there's also a lot of leads in the, the original songs which is good for me uh that I don't have to like kind of have to try to force or think of something there's also like already a lot of leads that uh in the original songs seem very intentional as well I don't know if like y'all had a producer in the studio that was helping uh, work that out if those are all your ideas Lily but like everything like everything in that record I feel like is very intentional and there's nothing that seems jarring or out of place well, thank you <laughs> Yeah, when I was hearing you talk about uh, all that process of kind of like having all the instruments complement what's being said, that's totally the framework like that we talk about in the studio all the time. I hear Matt and Tony especially saying very similar things where, um, you know, maybe I'll get frustrated uh, and I'm not sure why the song isn't working. And then it always ends up being like, oh, we did too much. Oh, you're, the lead you're doing is overshadowing the lyrics. And that's why it's not clicking. Um, and I also really relate to what you said, too, about it, it is a lot of feelings-based work as well. Like intuitively just feeling if the song feels complete or if the part feels complete. And you can't really use that much logic when it comes to it it's sort of just uh when it clicks it clicks we'll be right back after this hey everybody it's barry from the what podcast hey it's russ hey it's brian and we are giving away two tickets to bonnaroo 2024 these are ga plus and they include camping russ 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the recording. Where did you record Honeymoon? Um, it was an electrical audio, and we worked with uh, this guy, Joe Reinhardt, who recorded the record um, and also helped with a lot of producing tips uh, throughout the process because he's just a very well-experienced guy. Um, and he helped restructure some songs in ways that I think have really helped me as a songwriter moving forward uh, in terms of adding an extra chorus or or lengthening parts or shortening parts. Um, he was very, very skilled at doing that. And I think has helped me learn kind of different formulas for song structure that before maybe I wasn't familiar with. Tell me a little bit about the recording vocals process was that a process that took a long time or was there anything kind of specific that you guys all worked through to get those takes it kind of felt like music boot camp a little bit with the first record um prior to that the band ep that had been made previously had a lot of diy elements to it um and was just way relaxed uh and working with friends and then Previous stuff that I had done solo was very DIY, a lot of bedroom recordings. So this was the first time even really stepping into a proper studio. Um, and Joe, along with, I don't know, our collective mentality was just uh, to do things right. We really wanted to take our time with it. Um, and it ended up being the case where we didn't really book any break time. It was sort of just let's record as much as possible um, until we crush the songs. And it did feel pretty intense at times. I remember vocally, it was in winter and I had gotten sick right before cloud nine. <laughs> so sometimes when I listen to the song, I'm like, oh, I sound sick, which no one else in the world would probably think that. Um, but I do notice that. And then moving forward with the other songs, since we were doing it so back to back, there were points where my voice felt kind of strained or figuring out harmonies on the spot was really frustrating. Or um, having, you know, someone recording and trying to be productive in the way we were doing things. So being like, hey, that take wasn't that great. Like, let's do it again. Um, Obviously said in a really nice way, but I don't think I was used to hearing stuff like that um, since before when I was recording, it was just me and my own opinions on things. So it was definitely challenging, but I do think it really, really helped everyone as songwriters um, on the record and also helped us as a band learn how to work better together and communicate together in a way that wasn't super intense. Jerry, were there any songs that uh, vocally were challenging for you to do takes of? All of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, review was easy uh, for me. I'm not. I'm not like as I don't have a wide vocal range. Um, 
uh, I used to have a very narrow vocal range and I've been able to like extend it, like doing marching band and stuff. You, you like, people don't know this, but when you're a wind player, singing is very crucial. Some people say it's not, you know, like, you can like, it'll make you better, but like, no, you like, if you can't sing, you're going to have a harder time playing a wind instrument mm. because to hit those notes, a lot of it is being able to hear them. And if you can't like sing like an F, hitting an F is going to be a lot harder. So like singing is very important for playing winds and, you know, doing all the band stuff I've done, I've learned how to at least use proper air, both while playing and while singing, because like, that's a big part of it. And uh, since I've started singing, I've gained about half an octave range, which is dope. Um, but still, my range is not that good. And it's like, once like, I don't have about, a, I have like about an octave of like the sweet spot. So like, once I get start getting below that octave, like I can't project as much, which is fine. But like for this style of music, especially like the when it was like distorted guitars, singing low just doesn't really work, doesn't cut through. Yeah. Um, and so like with some covers, like Promise It. Promises was probably the hardest one because the I had a, most of the songs are transposed down a fourth because I just don't have that range. Um, Rear View is the only Rear View is the only one in racetrack or the only two uh, that are in the original key, I believe. Everything else had to transpose down, but like with promises, the the verses, I was going down to like almost as low as I could before it was truly like I couldn't project. But then in yeah. the choruses, I was going up to the highest note I could sing. So that one, I was like, if 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 Lily decided to sing a note higher, I don't know how I would have done that. I probably have <laughs> like done a lot of takes with the falsetto and hoped for the best. Like, um, so yeah, I really like I liked your singing on promises. Thank you. Yeah, that one I feel like was probably my best vocal performance I've ever done like on a recording yeah the the vocal chorus hook of that song is incredible and just hearing hearing both of you do it i mean oh, so good i want to go back to something um you, you said before the chair we need to know everyone needs to know cuffing season when you sent it to uh reed did she catch all the references and say something to you you know i don't know because she hasn't mixed it yet oh, uh okay. she her job, <laughs> her job was to mix uh, Dream Boy and Mrs. California or Miss California first because um those are going to be the two videos dropping the week before okay the record drops and then so like I'm she's so mixed, as of right now she's mixing Miss California and so I, after that whatever she wants to mix next is going to be next so uh we'll, I, I might get that text in the next few days <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll need an update on that after this comes out yeah we'll we need an update. <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and, and it was funny too, like um, Lily, before you, before you were, uh, got here, when we were talking about that college humor skit, the too many horns. Uh, this, this, when was this? This was like mid two thousands. 2007. I want to say probably is when the video was uploaded. So I feel like um, everything you said about recording horns on this record is exactly what that skit was parodying. It's kind of funny because that that skit was basically parodying uh, ska bands not knowing how to properly use horns and just to keep adding horns to the point where they over <laughs> overtook the song, and uh, and that's e that's easy to do as a young musician. You don't really know how to use these different pieces, and horns are such a like um, horns are so obvious to use, and they they're powerful. So of course, you know, as a young musician, you're like, yes, I'm going to go for that powerful thing. So, but you know, you're talking about how like you have to be really careful with horns not to, you know, overpower other elements of it. And, and, you know, so that it's like listenable and uh, that you like want to like listen to the song repeated times. 
Yeah, no, like that's definitely super important. I think especially as a horn player, especially as a horn player who was playing horns in high school, I like get a lot of the appeal when you're like, you know, you're a trombone player and not, not a lot of music has trombone. And when it is, it's like typically things like, you know, in school, especially you're not even taught about how diverse jazz really is. You're just taught about like, you know, like the standards. And if that's not really your thing, classical. And if that's not your thing, then there's nothing else. So like when you find Scott's like as a horn player, like, oh, this is awesome. An alternative like way I can listen to and play my horn. And so like when you join a band, sometimes you have like a lot of people who play horns and they're not really like invested in the music a lot, but they want to play in a band. And so they're just trying to like put all this horn stuff or like the rep frames, the references they have are like brass bands. Like a lot of people I knew who were playing in ska bands when like when I was in high school and stuff, like really loved like Youngblood brass band and like Anobius and like, those are all great bands, but like, you know, there's only brass in those bands. And like, also their songs are structured differently. They play like, you know, they're like more leaning into the jazz world, which if you're playing stuff like that, then sure, yeah, like the Scott Alliance, Tokyo Ska, like their focus is like that a lot of the time. But even like with Tokyo Ska Paradise Orchestra, when they have vocals on songs, you can see how much of a step back the instrumentations take. And I think that also shows just like one, why that band is so good, but two, how like being a good musician in that aspect is as far as like, they know, like they can flex, like, don't you worry. Like Tokyo Ska knows how to tear, <laughs> tear, like, tear, tear it down, you know? But like, at the same time, whenever there's like a vocalist or someone singing, they know how to take that step back and just, you know, be the backgrounds. And that's a very important, uh, thing and like it ego is another big thing too uh, I've definitely have worked with people who hate being told that their parts need to be cut and like that could be a thing that like really makes or breaks a band is if someone has that ego and it's like no like my part needs to be in this song it's like it's not a personal thing dude we're trying to do what's best for the song not like we're not trying to attack you I know like it's probably a thing a lot of musicians go through I mean when I because I, I you know I played drums when I was younger and it's like you start getting better and, and you learn how to do fills and you want to put a fill uh at the end of every line at some point mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you have to be like oh but how does this actually uh sound to the listener not to me who enjoys playing the fills but to the listener and then you have to start then you have to take that step as a musician to be like okay so when does it actually work to put a fill in not as, when do i want to do it and i you know that's just the I, I think like you know like lily you're talking about this being songwriting being you know kind of like a, a inspiration behind a lot of music writing pop does require a lot of um restraint really because you're trying to mm -hmm. distill it down can you speak on that especially as like you've you know you've gone through different recordings and you've gotten to say this record or maybe new stuff you're working on getting to that level of like kind of restraining yourself or pulling back or, or tightening things that maybe aren't always easy that you kind of want to keep but you know you're thinking about the bigger picture yeah, I mean, it's a little bit easier for me because I'm playing rhythm guitar and, and singing. So it's more so almost stepping into, into a role of like, okay, when everyone else adds their parts, um, I need to have a careful ear, but I also want to give everyone a moment in the song. And usually songs require that moment too. It's kind of finding the balance. Um, and I think with Beach Bunny in particular in the studio, a lot of times the songs will start like, okay, we're just learning the song, go crazy with it, add whatever you want, uh, just experiment while we're trying to figure out how to add stuff. 
and then pull back and then pull back more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's typically the formula. Uh, A lot of times, like, (laughs) it'll be, and and I think at this point, uh, we know how to jam together enough that it's almost like, I, I think I give off like a particular look I've been told when uh, people know it's too much. Like if Tony's ripping the bass and ripping the bass and he won't stop ripping the bass <laughs> for the whole three minutes, it'll be like, I'm giving him the look. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you sound great, but, but we are going to add vocals soon. So like that is really not going to work. Um, and, and no one takes it personally, which uh, I agree with Jer is uh, definitely can be a make or breaking point. Um, and I think when we're in the studio, it's a lot of, it's a lot of good open communication. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful that my bandmates uh, trust me with the vision for the songs and don't have to take it super personally if uh, we scrap something or change something um and just going back to like the pop formula uh I I do think a lot of it I probably learned from listening to radio music uh growing up and while we were on tour recently I fell down this hole where I was like you know I've never really listened to Taylor Swift like in any serious way I only know a couple popular songs I need to dive into this and just listening to her albums even like very intentionally I was like wow everyone really does have this formula of um you know simplifying a verse like simplifying a verse is a beautiful thing to do because the chorus impact that comes after is just it's brain melting it's amazing um and I think once you crack the formula it it really unlocks this level in songwriting where everything becomes a lot easier because you're not operating on I don't know you're kind of on airplane mode yeah there's like I think the songs that you end up listening to repeatedly there's an anticipation factor and that's like the thing that like the dynamics and what you're saying creates like if you have that like sometimes the verse you want to get to where you're 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 anticipating the chorus almost like and the verse is like almost teasing you to get to that chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the song that you listen to and then you listen to again and then you listen to again. Like you just, you know, there's songs that you listen to. You're like, that's cool. Yeah. But then you don't really, you don't, you don't care about it. Yeah. And it's totally a process. I mean, early songwriting, if I listen to those recordings, not only are they super not in time, <laughs> but I do think I was trying to do the most at some parts of the song that that didn't really make sense so uh yeah I think it's been definitely a gradual process and it's a lot of like observing other people's music that I like and being like hmm how did how did they even do that (laughs) so um was there any um any particular moment in in Jer's recording even if it's just the, the tiniest detail that really stuck out to you or that you really liked or that you really noticed as being very different or anything like that? Oh gosh. I mean, everything was different, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I do like, well, I guess just Scott has this factor in general with like the bounciness um, or the different like rhythm styles 
that, I mean, they completely change a song. So I really enjoyed hearing that. Um, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard because it is such a different rework of all the songs. So obviously I'm inclined to say, oh, well, the horns were amazing. And the the choices of like riffing was amazing. Um, and I also think kind of going back to what I said before, uh, the unexpectedness and, and the little surprises, especially on songs that I, you know, as I was listening and it was coming up, I was like, I'm not really sure how this is going to go. Um, because not all the songs are consistently upbeat. Uh, and with Rearview and with Racetrack and several other moments on songs, it's like the vibe when we play is is chill, but Jer made it chill in a new way. <laughs> when I was when I was a being the two recordings, one of the things that I kept noticing on on Jer's recording was the inclusion of uh, organ on some of the more chill tracks. Mm-hmm. Would you ever think in the future about uh, because of this including uh, organ on any of your songs? <laughs> <laughs> that's fu- that's funny. That's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. Um, now it's really subtle in comparison to this cover album, but uh, in the upcoming record, there was a very very subtle amount of organ use. Nice. So maybe maybe like we were i don't know like there was some telepathy going on during the recording process i'm not sure um, oh yeah absolutely i think i think even before i heard this you was like listen you're gonna want some organ i'm i'm sending you the vibes <laughs> 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 yeah. any uh any moments on this record jared that uh you feel like you want to bring up a uh, little little detail you added that we haven't discussed already uh so there's actually like a really cool moment i'm hoping it shows up in the final mix because it's like a weird science thing actually um some some big brain shit uh so in promises during the bridge which that bridge is so good um when i was recording that i was like that's probably my, one of my favorite moments on the record but um the last note uh the think of me me that last me i hit there's like a the the horns are all playing like perfectly in tune to the point where it causes what's called an overtone Mm -hmm. so like in in like nature they're like sound waves work in ratios and when you can like you can manipulate those ratios for like if one instrument is playing a sound wave once for every time another instrument's playing the sound wave twice it'll cause uh others like other notes to ring and it sounds like i'm i'm wailing out this really high e and I'm not, I didn't sing that. And I made a video talking about it on TikTok. Uh, Cause when you take, when I isolated the stems, you can hear it. And as soon as I take away the trombone, it goes away. It just sounds like I stopped singing and it's like super, super like sonic moment. I don't know if like once the mix is, because like when, when you're mixing, like so many elements can get in the way and make the overtone not ring. So I'm hoping it does ring. I don't, I don't like heavily mix uh, my stuff as like Reed does. Like there's like a much more production that goes through. So we'll see on that mm-hmm. final version, but it might still show up. So. So we don't know, um, but that's like a moment that I like really, really loved uh, on throughout the record. Nice. Um, so, I mean, I think that what the goal, um, what the goal we want to encourage for people is to get w- one or more of these songs to uh, blow up on TikTok. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, especially, especially <laughs> since uh, cloud nine already trended on TikTok. What we need is the Scott cloud nine 
all of those same <laughs> people, all the all of you people out there that did that, you got to do the ska one. I think that would be that would be ideal. Yeah, cook your asparagus <laughs> and, and play the ska one. <laughs> yeah, right. Just the cooking asparagus challenge. <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to remake the exact video you already made again. <laughs> so your your your, your video of, of walking down the beach uh, with a Jesus carrying you, with there was uh, just one footprint or however whatever they did to a uh, ska cloud nine. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash in defense of Scott. You will get monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews and commentary per episode, and access to the in defense of Scott discord. In defense of Scott would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has an amazing band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.